The reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and can be found on page 1173 of the Pew Bibles, or on the screen, I think, yes. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. Hello. Um, My Bible is too big for the stand, which I don't know what says about me, but I'm going to go with well done. (laughs) Okay, we're just going to do a bit of a rearrange here. Who got the alert at 3 p.m. today? Who didn't get the alert at 3 p.m. today? Yeah, there's a strong division. There's a division in my marriage, actually. I got the alert. Marcus didn't. Don't know what that says either, but I'm just going to let that sit with you guys. That has literally nothing to do with the book of Ephesians, but I just, just out of curiosity. So, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Eleanor. Um, I've been part of this church with my husband, Marcus, uh, for just under two years, and it is a joy to be here this evening to start our sermon, our, our sermon series on the book of Ephesians. So this is the first in the series, so um, we're going to spend a fair amount of time doing a little bit of context to kind of position ourselves with where we are with the book of Ephesians, um, and then we're going to take a look at the passage. But over the course of the coming weeks, as we journey through the six chapters of Ephesians, um, those who are preaching will be continually recommending a book to you. This is that book. Richard Koken, Ephesians, for you. Um, 
It's actually a really great in-depth look at the book of Ephesians, and I would really recommend you getting a copy of it uh, to read. You maybe use it in your devotionals. Um, I would particularly recommend you getting a copy of it because if you read the bit about the chapter before the sermon, you can then tell what has been directly lifted from the book of that person's sermon. Um, But you can't do that for my sermon because you don't have the book yet. So, (laughs) sad for you. Um, Right, should we pray as we start? Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We pray that this evening we would leave more in awe of you than when we arrived. Thank you for the truth of your gospel. May it change our lives and hearts once again this evening. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Okay, the book of Ephesians. It's an epistle. It's a letter. It's written by Paul, the apostle, whilst he was in prison. It was written to the church in and the churches surrounding Ephesus, which I think we have a map on the screen, is near the western shores of modern-day Turkey. There he is, little circled Ephesus. There he is. Um, That kind of situates it within the Roman Empire. What do we need to know about Ephesus? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that Ephesus was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was the fourth greatest city in the world at that time after Rome, Alexandria in Egypt, and Antioch in Syria. And it was the center of worship for most uh, of the Greek and Roman gods. So no fewer than 25 other gods were worshipped in Ephesus. These gods were not only able to bless people who did things right, but could also apparently hurt people who didn't. That was their understanding of the gods at the time. Specifically and most importantly, it was the center of worship for the god Artemis. Artemis was an incredibly popular Greek goddess, likely because she was one of those rare goddesses who presided over the exclusively female aspects of life. Uh, She had a special relationship to women. She presided over their fertility, allegedly, and was often called upon during the hours of labor. In Ephesus, there was a whole month dedicated to her worship. And I looked it up, and apparently it runs from the 24th of March to the 24th of April. So we are in the month that was dedicated to the worship of Artemis. And her cult was run entirely by female priests and included temple prostitutes. And Artemis' temple dwelt in Ephesus and it attracted loads of tourism and pilgrimage. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This is helpful context when we begin to dig into the chapters in Ephesians later on, okay? Artemis is a really big deal. And Ephesus is the hotspot for worshipping her. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this uh, epistle, visited Ephesus and lived there for over two years during his ministry. And if you turn with me to Acts 19, it's on page 1115 of your Bibles. Um, You can read a little bit there about what he did. It's particularly worth noting that Paul argued persuasively about the kingdom of God in the synagogue for three months, and then also had daily discussions in the lecture hall for two years. So in chapter 10 of Acts 19, it says that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And verse 20 tells us that in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And you'll also see that there's a big old riot in Ephesus. 
in uh, Acts 19, which is started by a craftsman who made shrines of Artemis and whose cross, because Paul has convinced everyone that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And therefore, this craftsman business is suffering. And not just that, but if you look at verse 27 of Acts 19, it says this. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. And what's useful to know here is that in Roman thought, the pagan gods were inevitably linked to the fate of the empire. And so there was a genuine and real fear from those in Ephesus that Paul's message was a threat to the very fabric of society and the empire as a whole. That's the context that Paul's writing into here. That's the context in which the Ephesian Christians were worshipping and living and evangelising. So what's Paul going to say to them? What would you say to them? (laughs) That's the letter we turn to now. A little overview of the structure of Ephesians. going to come up on the screen. This letter is six chapters long and can easily be split into two parts. So you've got chapters one to three, which is basically the story of the gospel, what God has done for us. And then chapters four to six follow a kind of therefore Uh, talk about how we should live in response to this incredible grace of God, which we've learned about in chapters one to three. And it's particularly important, as I've just mentioned, to understand the cult of Artemis and the Ephesian culture into which Paul was writing as we consider this, because the gospel often stands in direct contrast to what was considered normal for those who worshipped Artemis or other local gods. Are you tracking with me? Great, thanks. Okay, So, Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 14. Thank you, Helen, for reading it to us. Now, you may know that in the original Greek, this is just one really, really long sentence. So it's 202 words long and a little bit of Bible trivia. It's the second second longest sentence in the New Testament. Bonus points if you can tell me what the first longest sentence in the New Testament is after this. Don't look during the sermon. Uh, (laughs) it's like Paul's delight and his worship and his awe is just spilling out of him unstoppable maybe you got a sense of that as you were reading it it's like oh and this 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 and he just keeps going so the main thing you need to know about this passage and what I want you to remember is this God is the active agent that is to say God is the one who is doing everything in the passage And in order to understand that, we need to have a short grammar lesson. You're welcome. Okay, so grammar lesson. I have a a pop-up book called uh, The Great Grammar Book, um, which was for kids, but someone got it for me because I love grammar. Um, I was going to bring it, but it doesn't talk about what I want it to talk about. So um, yeah, there we are. Um, No pop-up books for us. But in every sentence in the English language, you have a subject and a verb. You often also have an object. I think this is going to come up on the screen. The subject is the one who is doing the verb. The object is the thing or person who is having the verb done to them. So, for example, on the screen, the dog ate the biscuit. Subject, dog. Verb, ate. Object, biscuit. With me? I don't want to patronize you. (laughs) 
but you know, it's going to make sense, okay? Okay, let's turn to the passage in Ephesians. It's going to come up on the screen. We're going to go through it verse by verse. That is really small, isn't it? Okay, we're going to go through it verse by verse, and we're going to color code it. So, first of all, Verse 3, what is the subject? Can we see in praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What is the subject? God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Great. What is the verb? Blessed. Great. You're getting the idea. What is the object? Great. Can you put it up on the next screen? There you go. Great. We've color-coded it. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, subject, who is blessed, object, no, verb, us, object, yes, great. Okay, what has he blessed us with? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So not some spiritual blessings, not a few spiritual blessings, not most spiritual blessings, but every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This is lavish blessing. Okay, next verse. You've got it color-coded for us in advance. For he, being God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, chose, verb, us, object. What did he choose us for or to be? He chose us before the creation of the world. We have been known and chosen by God before we did or said anything at all, before we even existed. So it's very much nothing to do with us and our actions. And he has chosen us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He has chosen us for redemption in Jesus. Next one. Okay. In love, he, subject, predestined, verb, us, object. He predestined us. What did he predestine us for? For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Don't worry, we're not going to go through literally every verse doing this. We're going to put it up on the screen. It's going to be color-coded. Ah, magic. Okay, you get the gist. Let's put it in a table. I love a table. Let's put it in a table to make it make even more sense, okay? Just, it's, I find it's helpful to break it down, okay? So, what do you notice in the subject column? It's all God. Yeah, it's literally the right answer. Great. And what is the object throughout? Also correct. Well done. You're excellent. It's all God's doing. God is the active agent. We are the object. God is the subject of all the verbs. We are the object of all the verbs. God the Father is the source and origin of every blessing that we enjoy. God the Father blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. He has freely given to us his glorious grace. He lavished on us the riches of his grace. He made known to us the mystery of his will. You can see why Paul could barely shut up, right? It's really cool. It's really cool. Really cool. Grammar's fun. Um, (laughs) In the words of John Stott, it is God who has blessed us, chosen us, destined us, lavished his grace upon us, and made known to us his will and purpose. God has also accomplished all things according to the counsel of his will. God is the active agent. We do nothing. It's all God's initiative. Paul writing this to a culture which was all about sacrificing to gods and pleading with them for mercy and blessing and engaging with them in a transactional way, this is quite something. Writing to us, 
a culture which is all about what we can achieve and what we can build and our own individual brands and success and followers and influence, a culture which cancels people the moment they do something wrong. This is quite something. God is the active agent. So God has done all these things, but how? We'll find the answer if we turn back to the passage. As is often the case, the correct answer is, in fact, Jesus. Jesus is mentioned by name or pronoun 15 times in 14 verses. In him or in Christ occurs 11 times. You see that in purple here. Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the one he loves, in him, through his blood, in Christ, under Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. You get the gist. Paul is clear. Everything that God has done, he has done in and through Jesus the Messiah. God has acted for us in Jesus. A little bit of context from theologian Tom Wright that might be helpful for us here. And Tom Wright says, in some Jewish thought, the king represented his people so that what happens to him happens to them and what is true of him is also true of them, right? Okay, So when Paul is writing about how we are in Christ, that's what he's alluding to. You tracking? Great. In Ephesians for you, Richard Koken puts it like this. If we have a friend who owns an exciting sports car, although we can admire it from a distance, we only really enjoy it when we are racing along the motorway in the car with them. In the same way, Christ shares his privileges with those who are with him, like a driver with his passengers. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in him. God is the active agent in bringing about blessings. All these blessings are given to us in Jesus Christ at great cost. Verse 7 says that it is through his blood, the cost of the cross, How do we know that we are recipients of these blessings? How do we know that we are the object of God's verbs? Verse 13 to 14 tells us. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a part of the promised inheritance, but it also marks us out. It stamps us with God's official seal. It's a down payment. You'll be seeing a lot of the royal seal around as the coronation happens. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about like an um, animal seal, just to clarify. Um, <laughs> I just feel like it's important to say these things, you know? Um, so we're thinking royal seal, not zoo seal. Um, And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the powerful personal presence of the living God in us. It is sanctifying, leading, and guiding us, forming and shaping us into Christ's likeness. And we'll see a little bit more of how that plays out more practically in the coming chapters. And what's the point of all this? What's the end game? It's right there at the end of verse 14, and it was in the chorus of the song that Liam so wonderfully taught us, which is an absolutely corking song. So good. Um, it's right there at the end of verse 14, to the praise of God's glory. God is the active agent. 
He works through his son, Jesus Christ, at great cost to buy us back from the slavery of sin. We can be sure of this through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a foretaste and a sign of the whole renewed cosmos which awaits us as our inheritance and is all done to the praise of God's glory. This knowledge, this understanding is supposed to lead us to worship. And if we fully understand it, I think it probably will. Who knew grandma could lead you to worship, huh? What a world. But what does this understanding or this mean for us practically as we come into land? Okay, I've got two things. Number one, if God is the active agent, if God is the subject of all the verbs, we can cease striving. We do not have to do as the people in Ephesus did, making burnt offerings and begging an elusive far-off God to have mercy on us. We do not have to do as the world today tells us with regards to striving and achieving, getting the most followers or the most money or the best promotion. We do not have to earn these blessings because God is the active agent. God takes the initiative. We are recipients. We have been blessed and chosen. We have been freely given his glorious grace. We have had redemption and forgiveness and grace lavished upon us. We can see striving. And all this has happened through and in Christ and his work, which has been completed. This is not the Ikea furniture of grace. This is not flat pack redemption. We've not been given a half-finished act of grace and we then have to work to complete it through actions. This is ready-made, fully built, completed in Christ. We can cease striving. That's really good news. For someone who loves to strive, that's kind of scary, (laughs) but also really, really good. It's really good news. Secondly, we can have peace about what lies ahead. Verse 11 of chapter 1 tells us that everything is done according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. The sovereign God, the active agent God, who gave of himself to rescue us from the clutches of sin and darkness is fully in control. All that happens will always happen in conformity with the purposes of his will. He is sovereign. More good news. There is a certain and glorious future awaiting believers. We've been given a down payment of that in the Holy Spirit. And even now, as we may struggle with many things, we can be sure that our inheritance, our eternity, is secure in Christ. Because God is the active agent. He is the subject of all the verbs. We do not need to strive. We have every spiritual blessing. We have redemption and forgiveness. We have, in the words of the ancient hymn, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you that through you we have every spiritual blessing.
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the active agent, that you are the subject of all the verbs, that you take the initiative, that you have moved first. And I pray that we would, the truth of that, whatever that might taste like to us, would sink down into our hearts and take root as we consider the week, months, years ahead. Lord, may we know you are sovereign, you are the active agent, and that we have secure hope in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.